This morning we're continuing an ongoing study in the Gospel of Mark. It's a study we began back in September and we will complete when we're done. And one of the things that we've discovered over and over again as we've come to the Gospel is the reality that the Gospel is more than simply words on a page. It's more than simply historical text. The Gospel carries in it the very living presence and power of God. And even this morning as we have experienced His presence together here in this house, He desires now to release His Word to us. A Word not simply to bring us some more information but a word that will bring us transformation. Because that is His heart for us. We're looking at Mark chapter 5. A passage that may be familiar to many of you, to some of you, perhaps not. Though, even if you've never read through this particular portion of Scripture, you've likely, somewhere along the line, may have heard a little bit about this account that we're looking at this morning. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, 
The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I love this word. Hmm. Stepping out. I believe that the Lord is specifically inviting us as followers of Christ, as a congregation here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, He is inviting us to step out. Now, remember the context to our passage this morning, going back to the end of Mark chapter 4. Two weeks ago, I preached on faith expressed. We discovered there in that familiar passage about Jesus in the boat, we discovered a number of things there. But one of the things that is of particular significance as we step into our passage this morning is this. The storm had come up. Remember, Jesus had said back in Mark 4, verse 35, let us go over to the other side. Now, He didn't tell His disciples. He just said, we're going to the other side. He didn't tell them whether they were going to go above the water or in the water. He just said, we're going over to the other side. And you remember that the storm came up because Jesus allows storms. And that storm hit in the very place of these fishermen's greatest place of strength and capacity. I mean, they figured they'd, they'd been on that you know, see so many times that they weren't even alarmed at first, but then things got very dicey because the storm was coming from every direction and the, and the boat was beginning to swamp. But Jesus was there in the boat with them. And what was Jesus doing while the storm was raging? He was, he was resting in the stern of the boat. He had his little cushion out. What a powerful picture. Jesus being in the boat with us, resting. Why? Because He knew the reality of the presence of His Father with Him in that boat. So no matter how much the storm may rage, Jesus is at rest in the boat the storms with us. And as He is with us in the boat, it changes everything. So now, they have come across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, which in your manuscript may say, in your translation, the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes. But they have come now over to the other side. 
And when they get there, Jesus steps out of the boat. This morning I want to talk with us about this stepping out and three ways in which I believe in this passage instructs us and we are being invited in this time to step out. Because the Lord is inviting Bethel Christian Fellowship to step out. If you have a bulletin, you can use the tear-off to take notes. There's a whole section there for sermon notes. And we're going to go through a number of different scriptures around three themes. The first theme is this. Stepping out in ministry. Stepping out in ministry. Jesus has come to the other side in obedience to the Father's specific direction to Him. And as He steps out, He steps out in ministry. Now, remember what the ministry of Jesus is. He even tells us what He is called to do at the very beginning of his ministry, when he's in the synagogue and he's handed the roll, the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah chapter 61, and unfolding that scroll, Jesus begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. He has come to announce the year of the Lord's favor which as you may know, is an announcement of jubilee. If you want to know about jubilee, you can go back into Leviticus. I was just in my own Bible reading this week. I was reading this particular passage again from Leviticus chapter 25, which describes the scope and purpose of the year of the Lord's favor, the year, the day, the time of jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, the Lord comes to bring rest to the restless. He comes to bring release to the bound. He comes to bring restoration to the broken. This is the essence of Jubilee. And when Jesus came, He came announcing the good news of the Kingdom. He said, the Kingdom of God is here. To those who've been living under the domination 
of the kingdom of this age. An announcement has come. The inauguration of the kingdom of co- to come has arrived. Jesus, the King, is here to reign and to rule. And this morning, I want you to hear afresh and again the invitation of the Lord to you and to me to enter into His rest. To experience His release. To embrace the wholeness that comes from Him. There's no other place you're going to find that. Nothing else will satisfy your life and bring you into the fullness of this rest and release and restoration other than Jesus. I want you to notice something here, though. Very significant. Now, when you're reading it casually... You know, you're just kind of reading along and, oh yeah, that's very interesting. Jesus went to the other side of the sea. Well, so what's that got to do with the price of potatoes in Idaho? I mean, you know, what's that have to do with my life? Well, there is much more than a geographic significance about the other side. Because when Jesus goes to the other side... He is stepping out and and the disciples with Him are stepping out of their normal, familiar, comfortable confines. And they are stepping across all kinds of cultural, sociological, economic, religious boundaries when they go to the other side. Notice at the end here, it says, so the man went away in verse 20 and began to tell in the Decapolis. So we know that the region that they're in is known as the Decapolis, the the place where there are ten cities. So not only is he entering an area that's no longer exclusively Jewish, there are Gentiles involved, but a place that is specifically under even more heavily Roman domination. Jesus is going to the other side. The word in the Greek here literally means, the the other side literally means over against. He's going over into territory that has not yet experienced the reality of the jubilee of His kingdom. So He's bringing the good news to the other side. And he still does today. Pastor Dave Ogren referenced this scripture last week. But here again, the compelling call of the Father in Jesus' heart. And Jesus says to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to God in the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I must preach 
the good news of the kingdom of God. I must go to the other side. That's why I was sent. One of the foundational scriptures upon which this congregation lives out its life is this call to be a house of prayer for all nations in Isaiah chapter 56. The prophet Isaiah describes that at the end of that particular passage in verse 8, he says, The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. I'm going to gather still others besides those who have already been gathered because there is still room around my throne. There is still room in my house. So I must go to the other side to gather, to bring, to draw, to invite, to welcome into my house. So my question for you this morning is this. Where is the other side in your life that the Lord is inviting you to bring the good news of the kingdom of God? Where is that other side? Yep. It might be right in your own home, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. In the city, beyond, I mean, the other side for Tim and Heidi Chase as they're preparing to go to Senegal, that's the other side. That's a, that's a ways out there, other side. But what's the other side look like for you? What, what are some of the places God's inviting you out of your comfort zone? Culturally, economically. Religiously, what, where's, where's he inviting you to go to the other side? To minister the good news of the kingdom of God. Some of you are doing that all the time. Some of you, God's inviting right now. Step out to the other side. Now, Notice what happens here. It's very plain and right before us. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat, when He stepped out in the fullness of who He was with His kingdom authority and power, it tells us that a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet Him. And this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained head and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons of his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Swear to God, you won't torture me. For Jesus 
had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And Jesus asked him, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. What we have here is a power encounter between the kingdom to come, the king, Jesus, and the kingdom of this age, the kingdom of darkness. And as this power encounter unfolds, we see Jesus stepping out in faith. First of all, the kingdom of darkness is exposed. Now, let me just take a moment to unpack this for us so that you have a clear understanding of the dimensions and dynamics of the kingdom of darkness. Not because I want you to get fascinated by or to get overly immersed in, just so that you are aware and understand the full dimensions of the kingdom of darkness. The Scripture tells us that we face three enemies. The flesh, the world, and the devil. So let's very quickly take a look at each of those. The flesh. Paul talks about this. The Apostle Paul, in his book to the church at Rome, in the book of Romans... Chapter 7, one of the famous passages there, and you might want to read this particular verse in the full context there. But Paul writes here, he says, I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. There is this ongoing dynamic within us, Paul says, and he later he talks about, I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I want to do. Who is going to deliver me? Thanks be to God, Christ Jesus. But because we are the descendants of Adam and Eve who fell in the Garden of Eden and sinned against God, that nature of sin has been passed on to each of us. We bear the image of God, but that image is broken because of sin in the fall. And so we find ourselves in this ongoing dynamic caught, as it were, between the kingdom to come and the kingdom of this age. And this battle is at war within us. You all know about this. I'm not talking to people who are unfamiliar with the battle. Right? We know. The flesh, the world... Not only are we battling against our own individual brokenness, we are also battling against systemic brokenness all around us in the systems of this world that are at war against the kingdom of God. The Apostle John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For any, everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. There is this war going on. We see it all around us. Systemic brokenness. Systemic evil.
which seeks to enslave us. The cravings, the lust, the boasting at war with us. And then, of course, there's the enemy, Satan himself, the devil known as a variety of names in the Scriptures. Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 6, says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Behind or and, and working within and, and, and amplifying the battle going on just in our own soul, in our own spirit, in our own lives, amplifying that battle in the world around us is the enemy who comes to try to do what? What is the enemy's plan? What is the plan of the kingdom of darkness? His plan is to steal Kill and destroy. Notice what Jesus says here in John 10.10. The thief comes what? Only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, it doesn't look like that at the beginning. (laughs) That's not the the bill of goods that, you know, he doesn't show up at the door saying, I'm here to steal, kill, and destroy you. Uh Uh-uh. Dresses it up really good. The veil over our eyes blinds us to the machinations of the enemy at work. But he comes to drive us, to dominate us, to destroy us. And we see this so powerfully pictured by this demonized man. Who is being driven so much? I mean, there's no, he has, there, there, there's no, um, <laughs> there's no control left, even in what he's doing. He's just, he's just driven to do these horrible things. He, he he's, he's utterly out of control. He's, he's completely dominated. He's completely. Being destroyed. This is what the enemy comes to do. He comes to utterly destroy the very image of God in us. He hates the image of God. He wants to dehumanize us. That's what the enemy does. Have you ever watched it happen in your own life for the life of those around you? You know. You've seen, you've experienced, you've watched the enemy. But that's where Jesus comes to confront. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that the story doesn't end there? Aren't you happy that the story doesn't end there? Oh man. And John 10 doesn't end with the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But it ends by saying, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. I want you to notice something. And those of you taking notes, you can kind of draw little arrows or do whatever you want. Or those of you that aren't taking notes, you can draw the arrows in your head. Okay? (laughs) Jesus 
proclaims the good news of the kingdom, he comes to bring what? First of all, what does he come? What's the first thing? Well, yeah, life. But no, the three things that I talked about a moment ago. Rest. What does the enemy come to do? He comes to drive us. The enemy drives us, but Jesus comes to free us from that restlessness. He comes to bring us into rest. That's Jubilee. I mean, even in the book of Leviticus, I mean, even the land rested. Jesus comes to establish rest in place of that drivenness. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. Jesus and the Holy Spirit leads us, the enemy drives us. What's the second thing that the good news of the kingdom comes to proclaim? Rest? What's the second one? Release. Release from what? From bondages. Now, what's the strategy of the enemy? What's the enemy come to do? He comes to dominate. He comes to put your life in bondage. But Jesus comes to set you free from bondage. To set you free from the domination of the flesh, the world, the enemy. What's the third thing that Jesus comes to bring? Restoration. Restoration to what? To who? To us? To those who are what? Those who are broken. Those whose lives are being destroyed. Jesus comes to put us back together to reflect once again the image of God. This is His heart towards you and towards me and towards us. Second Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The Apostle John writes, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The one in you is greater! So my question to you this morning, question number two, for those of you keeping score, we've got three of them. Second question. Where is the Lord inviting you to confront the kingdom of darkness in your own life? Or in the lives of those around you? Where, where have shadows crept in in your own life? Where's the flesh or the world or the enemy been driving, dominating, destroying? Where do you need to take back ground from the enemy? How about in the people around you? Now, you're not going to go to them and it's not so you can just, you know, point your finger at them and you're not going to go and confront them in that way. But as Jesus does here. See, the psalm says that in the king, mercy and justice kiss one another. You know what justice is? Justice is setting things right. Mercy is doing it through the grace of God. Jesus comes to set things right and He does it by His mercy. That's what He does here. He sets this man right. Look at, look at what happens here. Keep going with the story. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. This is the, the demon legion 
Okay? And that even that word legion gives us some insights which I won't go into. I mean, it's a, a, a Roman garrison of 6,000 soldiers. It speaks of organization. It speaks of in, intensity and all of those things. That's the enemy. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Verse 11, the demons begged Jesus, send them among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Notice that. He gave them permission. <laughs> they weren't controlling him. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Listen, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. What an incredible Transformation. Sitting there dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And perhaps the saddest verse in all of this particular passage, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. (laughs) Please, leave. The third place that the Lord is inviting us to do is to step out and witness. As we do, we need to remind ourselves that as we sow the seed of the Gospel, there will be a variety of different responses. We just read earlier a few weeks ago back in Mark 4 when we looked at that particular passage of the parable of the seed, the parable of the soils, the parable of the sower, whatever name you want to put on that one. It says the farmer sows the Word. Some people are like seed along the path where the Word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. There is... The responses are as follows. There's rejection, just rejecting the Word. There's the reaction to it. There's an initial receiving, but then there's a quick um, dying out of that. There's reversal where, where the seed begins to take root and starts to come up, but then the choking of life comes and chokes it out. And then there's the receiving, the reception. And this is the man we have here who receives. The crowd says, Jesus, please go away. But look at what the man says here as Jesus was getting into the boat. Verse 18, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He's had mercy on you. I love that instruction of Jesus. Just tell them. Tell them how much He's done for you. Tell about God's goodness. Tell about His mercy. In the book of Acts, Peter and John have been hauled before the chief mucky mucks for ministering and sharing and witnessing. And I love their response here. They called them in again and commanded them to not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help 
speaking about what we've seen or heard. We can't help it. We can't help it. We have no choice. Revelation, they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. It is the word of our testimony with the blood of the Lamb which breaks in and breaks through into the other side. (laughs) So my third question to you this morning is this. Where is the Lord inviting you? Where is the Lord inviting you to sow the Gospel and share the news of God's goodness and mercy in your life? Isaiah 60 tells us, Arise, shine. Your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. The Lord rises upon you and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Where is your light to shine? Where is He calling you? To the ministry of declaring the day of Jubilee, the year of Jubilee, the season, the time has come for rest, release, restoration. Where is He inviting you to step out in faith? To press against the shadows of darkness. Where is He inviting you? bear witness to the goodness and mercy of God? Those are the questions I believe the Lord would ask us today. Worship team, if you'd come on up as we close here. It's going to give you an opportunity to respond. What the Lord is saying today This morning, at the very beginning of the first service, just as just as I was reading the first scripture, um, Gene Ramphill received a, this word, which I think just fits as we move into the uh, into the invitation time now. This is the Lord speaking. He says, "Who will dance for me in the fire? Who will sing for me while being crushed under the force of darkness? Who will raise their eyes and speak of me when being reviled?" Who will be my witness? Will you be his witness today? Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet if we can.